welcome to the Beautiful Life Podcast. This message is by Nigel Desmond. So, um, it's interesting, you know, Christmas messages always, as a pastor, when you've been in ministry 30 years, finding something new to say at Christmas is a challenge. Um, but maybe, maybe innovation is not really the thing that is needed, but just a good reminder. But this Christmas, um, Debs and I were chatting, and one of the characters that actually doesn't get that much airtime during Christmas is Joseph. Um, it's interesting, we, we tend to focus in on just about everyone else, but the role that Joseph plays in the whole story is often, um, you know, very much a sideline. But he, it really struck me, uh, and as Davis and I were talking about, just the, the role he plays in the Christmas story. So I want to just take a moment, because as I meditated on his story, began to think that actually during this time, he's such a good role for us because I believe that actually God wants to raise up a generation of Josephs. A generation of people who, like Joseph, are willing to pay the price for hosting the, the presence of God. And, and anyone who knows me well, I, I love Christmas. Um, you know, our, our family, Christmas is probably my favorite uh, holiday, but this Christmas in particular, you know, I'm just I was grateful for just presents, God, uh, God and, and carbs, I, I'll be honest, uh, carbs. I, I, I was so excited about this Christmas because um, I said all bets are off on my diet and uh, for the two days over Christmas, um, I would eat and drink whatever I wanted and not worry about the sugar and, uh, and the carbs. And I tell you what, it has been glorious. Um, it's, it's just been... A, and um, as I was uh, thinking about, um, uh, about Christmas, though, you know, the thing I love about Christmas the most, one of the reasons I wrote our Christmas books is for our children, we wanted them to celebrate Christmas, but Christmas in the West has become so cluttered. Uh, in fact, it's become so cluttered that we've even forgotten what we've forgotten um, about Christmas. I, I was listening to a radio interview a couple of years ago in France, and these interviewers were going on. And I heard them, the one interview say to the other, you know, the thing that frustrates me about Christmas is it's become so commercialized. People have lost um, who Christmas is really about. And the other interviewer said, yeah, I so agree. You know, you hardly ever get a mention of Father Christmas anymore. I can remember going, I remember going from absolutely to what the heck? And, and you know, when it comes down to it, the reason I love Christmas is it's that one moment in the year where somehow the whole world resets and we start thinking about God present with us. I love the fact that I can go into malls and shopping centers and I hear worship music. Uh, I throw in with, with other weird variations of songs, but you'll have Hark the Herald Angels, you'll have glory, uh, Joy to the World, you'll have these various different worship songs. But as I was saying, um, Joseph. Joseph is a man who paid a price to, to host the presence of God. And it's an, it's an extraordinary thing when you, when you think about who he was. The, 
according to the Bible doesn't say much about him other than he was a carpenter and that he, ma uh, he married Mary. But tradition tells us that he was probably a bit older. He was a bit older than, uh, than uh, Mary and um, she, she was probably a teenager. He might have been as old as in his 50s, according to tradition, when he and Mary got married. Yeah, it's quite, uh, quite something. Which is why at the end of Jesus' story, he's not there. I don't know if you've ever found, you know, like, where was, G where was Joseph at the cross? The, the truth is he had probably passed away by, uh, by that stage. But we do know that he was young enough to pass his trade on to Jesus because Jesus is referred to as the carpenter's son. And so, but he's this guy, and you can imagine that um, he's betrothed to be married to a, uh, to a young woman. He was probably married beforehand, tradition says. That's why Jesus had brothers and sisters, you know. And James, the uh, brother of Jesus, uh, was probably a half-brother, even from an earthly uh, perspective. And um, so he's at the stage uh, in his life where he's a little bit older, and all of a sudden, he's confronted with a massive scandal. Now, he's, he's known for being a godly man, and he's about to get uh, uh, re, uh, remarried, and the young woman to whom he's betrothed, it's found out that she's pregnant. And he, he has it in mind to quietly divorce her. He doesn't want to embarrass her, doesn't want her to get into public shame, but he thinks, no, this is, this is not my problem. This is, he, he's obviously not thinking, no, listen... The, the, I, I, I'm not sure I even want to do kids again. And he's like, nah, he's not sure about this. But he has a dream in which an angel speaks to him. Now, I don't know about you, but I've had dreams too. I've even encountered angels in, uh, in dreams. And when you wake up the next morning, it is a challenge sometimes to obey the word of the Lord in, uh, that you received in that. But Joseph, on the basis of this dream, he has four dreams. And these four dreams in which God speaks to him, he has these life-altering moments. One in which he decides to, uh, uh, to marry uh, Mary. And go ahead. One in which he relocates his entire family to another, uh, to another nation. And so we have this picture of this man. He's a God, uh, godly man, but he's confronted with this challenge that God is going to give him a gift but it's a gift that's going to cost him everything literally a gift that will cost him everything. because his reputation was immediately well hey listen that young girl's pregnant was it Joe no he's going to divorce no he's obviously righteous oh he is marrying him well maybe it was him from that moment on in his community there would have been a question mark over his reputation and his name and his godliness. His standing in the synagogue would immediately have changed in that moment for the rest of his life. And yet on the basis of a dream, he was willing to own it and to claim it. Not only that, but then Jesus, Jesus was born and the first thing just about that happens when, when Jesus is still an infant, is the state, Herod, decides to kill all the babies in the locality to try and get his child. That presents two problems. Firstly, 
the state, the government is coming after you and your family to kill you. But not only that, but all your neighbors have their children killed because of your family. And God moves your family out of the way. It's, it's so severe, actually, because he was from Nazareth. That, that we, that, but the, I mean, he was from um, Bethlehem. But when he comes back, he settles in Galilee. Now, the interesting uh, thing about Galilee is that it was a, it was a sort of semi-Gentile locality. They had Jews there, but, but actually it had Gentiles as, uh, as well. So it, w- it wasn't even considered like fully, uh, fully Jewish in, the, in a sense. So his whole life gets disrupted by the manifested presence, uh, presence of God. And I, I began to look at this guy and just think, what an amazing man. Because he, he recognizes when the angel comes and speaks to him, that the thing that his nation is needing right at that moment is the presence of God. He, he recognizes his nation's crushed. They are being oppressed by the, uh, by the, the Romans. Um, his, his nation have lost their way in the sense that they, they, they're fully religious. They're going through all the formula of religion. But when it comes to actually knowing God and Emmanuel, God with us, they've got lost. They've, they're steeped in uh, religion. And then God comes and says, listen, I've got a remedy for this. And I'm going to put it in your home. God is going to manifest himself in your home. And Joseph says, I'm for it. I'm up for it. It costs him for the rest of his life. So as I was, I was thinking about this, I just thought about what, what an amazing challenge it is for us in these days. Because I, I can't think of a time in modern history where we are more desperately in need of a revival. It seems like, now Debbie and I have been talking about how when we first went into ministry 30 years ago, we were moving into an era that people call um, a postmodern. We were moving out of modernism and into postmodernism. Modernism was a, a belief system that was based on truth as accessed through, the, through reason and rationality. And so you would reason with people to show them the reasonableness of the gospel. And you would try and get people to see the rationality of the gospel. You would use apologetics to, to try and reach people for, uh, for Christ. But we were moving out of modernism into what was called postmodernism, where people had moved away from there being truth to being truth was relative. Yeah. That you had your truth and I had my truth and maybe truths were, uh, there was no absolute, uh, absolute truth. Truth was whatever you wanted to, uh, to make it. And, and then we had to kind of change the way we approach, uh, approach things because if you had come to people and say, well, the Bible, well, they'd that, that, just say, well, that's very nice. That's, that's your book. Or you talk about history and they'd say, yeah, well, I don't uh, believe that. That's your truth. That's not, uh, that's not uh, my truth. 
But now we're moving out of a postmodern age more into an occultic age. And occultism has said, has, no longer says truth is relative. It says there's no such thing as truth. And in the absence of truth, there's only power. Which is a truly terrifying place to be in, in, in which you don't look for what is right. You just look for what is powerful. You embrace what is, uh, uh, what is powerful. And, and after occultism comes Satanism, where it's all about you and, and finding things. And I can remember when we went into ministry hearing someone teach on this, and I can remember thinking, that's so extreme. That's ridiculous. We'll never get there. But we're getting there. We, we're getting there where now our, our world no longer pursues truth. Because... The, we, we've, we've embraced the idea that there's no such thing as truth. And as a result, people pursue not truth, but power. To say to someone, that's wrong, makes no sense intellectually in, our, in today's world. And yet, the world that Jesus was born into was very similar. It was very similar. The, the, the world he was born into was, if you think about it, the gospel was confined to one very small min Middle Eastern nation. The, the Bible was, was, was preached, and the Word of God was preached in Israel. And, and when, when God said, I, I'm going to bring you the answer to the world's problems, to the crushing problem of the Roman Empire crush, uh, crushing the world, and outside of the Roman Empire, uh, you know, like, life was even more debased and broken and harsh, etc. And God said, I've got the answer. And he sends a baby. <laughs> Which is why so many people were really disappointed. It's like, God sent the Messiah, where's he? <laughs> like, seriously? I have to look after the Messiah? He was coming to look after me. I thought, I have to wipe his bum? And feed him? You're kidding me! And yet that was God's answer. And ultimately Jesus grew and the manifest presence and his ministry grew to change the world. It's the same today. The same today across the world, I believe, God is raising up a generation of Joseph's. Men and women who will say, man, I will pay the price to carry the presence of God. And I'm not just looking to be religious and well thought of and to do the right thing. But you know what? I will have the manifest presence of God in my home and on my life, even if people look at me and think, you're a fool. You're an idiot. Like, what, what is this thing? Getting stuck to walls. <laughs> Sticking coins to walls. What is this thing of stopping and praying for people with sore knees when you're going for a run and expecting those knees to get healed? On your 81st birthday, On your 81st birthday while doing a 10k run, making your son-in-law feel, uh, feel bad. <laughs> why would you do that? What, why would you just... Not only enjoy but and yield to 
God's presence coming over you in such a way that tears flow or laughter uh, bubbles out, but that you pursue to know Him, to truly know Him in such a way that His presence can overshadow you. Why would you do that? I'll tell you why we're doing it. We're doing it because God's manifested presence is the only answer to our world's needs. And it's going to cost you. To really know, to really have God's presence on your life will cost you. It may cost you your reputation. Because honestly, you, you don't look cool. I, I mean, I, I, I can Cancel remember. Hey, what's that? Absolutely. When you stand up and say in this, uh, in this age, no, there is truth. And Jesus Christ is the truth. No, you can't make up your own reality. And you can't just by thinking, make yourself what God did not make you. It's impossible. There is a truth. There is a God. His word is true. And I believe His word. And I will pay the price to believe it. Not only that, but when your, your Christian friends come to you and say, you know what, man, God's presence on you looks weird. It, it looks weird. You know, when, when, when we prayed for Corin this morning in, in the service and, and the presence of God just came on us all and uh, we ended up on the floor laughing and, uh, and everything, there will be Christians who come to you and tell you, oh, that's, just stop it. That's uncomfortable. You, you're making me uncomfortable. Don't, yes, exactly. I get that all the time. Listen, we, we, we're happy that you... Could you just, like, just, just a little bit t- turn it down? Just Could you please make Jesus acceptable? I want to tell you, from the time God's presence came, His presence has never been socially acceptable. Never. He didn't come tidy. He didn't come to the temple. He was born... In questionable circumstances, and he was raised in, uh, in, uh, in a manger. He was pursued from the moment he was born to try and eradicate it. So it is with revival. So it is with revival. It will be questioned. The, the religious will come along and tell you, that's not really God. That's not, uh, that's not really God. That doesn't look, if Jesus was to come, he would come like this. Because we know, we are experts. We've done this for many years. But I really believe that, that God is raising up a generation of people who are actually done with the fake, who really want His presence. And they're willing to pay the price. They're willing to stand up and, and go and say, listen, it's okay. My reputation, God, you can have my reputation. If the state comes after me, I'm going to trust you to preserve my life. But I'm willing to put my life and my family on the line. That's a generation of Joseph's. That's a generation uh, uh, of Joseph's. You know, in this day and age, it's, it's the craziest thing, but to stand up for Christ and to carry His presence, like Joseph, you need to be prepared that people will think you're mad. People might think you're bad. Because... They, they do. They, they think, you, they, they think you're, you're, you're just a bigot with a spigot. What's a spigot? It's like a tap. <laughs> a bigot 
They might think you're evil. But the reality is, is God is looking for men and women and families who invite God's presence in, will host God's presence, nurture God's presence, protect God's presence, and build their lives around God's presence. Because from that moment that Joseph said yes, everything changed, and God's presence became the most important thing in his life. Same thing for Mary. You see, we, we're not invited. God didn't invite us to be people who just add Jesus to our lives. Yeah. Jesus was never meant to be just like, hey, you know what, I do this, 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 and I'm a Christian. Yeah. No. I'm, I'm a Christian. Yeah. I host God's presence. That's central in my life. Everything else revolves around that. And I'm just going to end with this, something the Lord told me when I first got saved. I got born again out of a pretty messy family. And, um, and when Jesus came into my life, I was so excited. For the first year or so, I was just like your typical um, baby Christian, super excited. Like, I just was like out there. Um, I scared uh, off all of my friends except for two, if I remember correctly. Um, I just terrified the living daylights out of all my worldly friends because I just went, Jesus. And after about a year or so, someone came to me and said, you know, Nigel, you, you need to calm down. You just need to calm down. You, you need to become a balanced Christian. You need to be balanced. And so I went, okay, all right, I'm going to be balanced. And, and I remember for a period of time trying to be balanced. And I was trying to work out what balanced was, you know. And I, and I had this picture in my head of having, having a, you know, the scales and uh, balance. And, you know, I, I thought, you know, I pile a bit of Jesus and Christianity and on, on this side. And then I had a bit of the world on, on this side, you know, and, and just try and achieve that sense of balance, you know. And it wasn't working so well because, you know, it just, it just didn't work. It just, just wouldn't work. And, and finally, I remember the Holy Spirit coming to me and saying, Nigel, you, you've, you've misunderstood balance. This is the kind of balance that you need to pursue in your life. Balance in your life, in a God-fearing man's life, looks like this. It's like a spinning top. See, when, when a spinning top's spinning, it's perfectly balanced. He said, this is what you do, Nigel, is you put me at the center of your life and everything else revolves around me. Anything that can't revolve around me has no business being in your life. And if you do that, if, you, if you've got me at the center of your life, got the presence of God at the center of your life, everything revolves around that, you'll always be perfectly balanced. Absolutely, absolutely. And so, I, this is what I want to encourage you this Christmas. That's this is what Christmas reminds us that Christ is central, that His presence. And and you know what we get to. And there's the there's the little manger I was talking about. It's, it's the first amazing church service. Just. The presence of God at the center of our lives. And I just want to encourage you this Christmas to remember to keep God's presence central in your life and let everything else revolve around that. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your presence in our lives. And Lord, we thank you for the example of, of men who've gone before us like Joseph, Lord, like Mary who paid a price to host your presence. Lord, I ask that you would raise up in our day a generation of Josephs.
a generation of men and women willing to pay the price to know you intimately, to host you, to, to cause your presence to increase on our lives and in our lives and in our homes and in our families in such a way, Lord God, that truly the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea in our days. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this message from Nigel Desmond. For more information, please visit nigelanddebbie.org.